Hello and welcome to the History Emporium and Powers podcast. This week we talk about the Normans. The Normans were inhabitants of the early medieval Duchy of Normandy, descended from Norse Vikings, indigenous Franks and Gallo-Romans. Not what we at school found absolutely hilarious when a teacher used a boy in our class called Norman as an example of the Norman invasion of Britain as he presented it to us with pictures of Norman, the boy in our class, crossing the channel. So, Chris Riley, hello. <laughs> um, hello mate. Just picture, picture this for a second. We're at, we're at school and a, uh, a teacher has gotten pictures of this boy, Norman, copied loads of them, which is pretty weird, and <laughs> um, uh, sort of demonstrated the the, the invasion of, of Britain, uh, I bet he, of Norman. I bet he was gutted when there was no kid called Britain. No, well, yes. That'd yes. have just been perfect. I, well, do you know what, looking back, because I, I, I knew that we were going to talk about the Normans, and looking back, actually, I think this teacher was a bit of a bully. And Norman, if you happen to listen to this, I'm sorry that he was a dick to you. <laughs> <laughs> like, Me too, Norman. Hope yeah, you're doing well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let us get in touch. <laughs> yeah. Um, so today I'm joined by one of my favourite Yorkshire lads and fellow historian, Chris Riley. Hello, Christopher. Hello, Oliver. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Before we go any further... We can have a little bit of a heart-to-heart, Christopher. On air, in public. Okay. (laughs) Um, So, as I said, I'm joined by Chris Riley. So this man that is here today has had um, some doubts recently in his ability. And I just wanted to say to you, from all of us, that know you and listen to you and uh, who have you on the show, anyone that's read your articles, like, you've got this. So we respect you and we appreciate you. Christopher. So that was my my heart to heart from me to you. We love you. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, That is genuinely very kind and it is appreciated. Uh, I think it's been a bit of a weird time for a lot of people um, this last year and especially for me recently. Um, This third lockdown has been the one that's hit me the hardest Um, and it's put all sorts of thoughts in my mind and uh, but you know having having people look out for me it's uh, it kind of makes it all worthwhile, and I think it is uh, it's important to to sort of talk about these things, especially as guys. Mm, definitely, we're crap at talking about these things. And yeah, I I I I appreciate that that lockdown number three has been very difficult on a lot of people. Um, sort of one and two were hard, but three has kind of hit home really hard. Mm. Um, for 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 myself also, but um, and and it, and it's a it's a it's a place that we get to when we start to question sort of what we're doing, like our, yeah, our, our, our ability in, in stuff. You've got a lot on your plate. Like it's yeah, but the history community are amazing. And I just wanted to say from, from, from the history emporium to yourself <laughs> that um, we very much appreciate what you do. Well, it is greatly appreciated, and I hope to carry on until I can't do it anymore. <laughs> Wonderful. Now, let's stop being soppy little pricks now. Um, <laughs> 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 so, we're going to talk about the Normans, yes. Christopher. So, um, I I kind of um, 
any excuse to get Chris on the podcast, I'm kind of just like, right, tell me a topic that I don't know much about. And he'll <laughs> throw this stuff at me and I'll be like, right, go. That's fine. Um, so uh, I think we had this conversation early this morning and we're now recording. Yes this like a few hours later so um uh, chris has all the knowledge stored up in his head and i have questions for you christopher awesome i'm ready i don't know how many times i've said christopher in this very short segment of time more than most people probably say in a normal day but it's fine hi ho there you go so let's start with the uh the basics so who were the normans and what time period are we talking about so the Normans, um, as you said in the intro, come from uh, northern France, uh, in a, the Duchy of Normandy. Um, originally, uh, they come from Scandinavia, as anybody that's familiar with the, with the kind of 8th, 9th, 10th centuries in, in northern and western Europe, you know that the uh, Scandinavian uh, raiders, whatever you want to call them, Vikings, um, would settle, would raid, and then settle in England, Ireland, northern France, all through Europe, um, and all the way down to like places like Constantinople. But um, basically, what happens in the early 10th century? A man named Rollo, not the chocolate. Um, <laughs> do they still very... do them? Yeah, is that still a thing? I think so. It's, it's not a go-to for me because I've got braces, so I have to stay away from. Uh, toffees and caramels and things or else yeah. I just all get all clammy like um, <laughs> look very attractive to your missus yeah. Willy Wonka in the Johnny Depp <laughs> film yeah. Um, but yeah so the, the human chocolate Rollo um, who'd been very very successful being a Viking or going a Viking uh, in England and places like that he um, raided deep into French lands in about 911 AD or 911 CE um, and he was essentially gifted the area around Rouen um, by the uh, King of the West Franks, not France, France didn't exist yet, but King of the West Franks, um, Charles the Simple, great name. Everybody so, has wicked uh, wicked um, nicknames at this point. Charles the Simple probably got a bit of a rough one there. Is it, is it as simple as it sounds? <laughs> is it yeah. because he's not he very was just bright? A, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Okay. Um, so yeah, these, these Scandinavian um, raiders become um, very, uh, they very much enjoy French culture. They pick up the language, um, the religion, so they become Christians. Um, they start to take on uh, like French names. So going from like uh, Sigurds and Rolos, uh, they go to Henrys and Richards and Roberts and things like that. Um, over the next sort of, 200 years and they then become pretty much the most powerful um region in in france if not one of the most in europe they uh they tend to focus around northern europe and then as time progresses and we'll touch on this later they like to go off and adventure a little bit finding themselves in southern italy in sicily obviously very very famously and the point of this whole episode in england but um one of the one of the most famous Normans, the most famous Norman, um, is the great, great, great grandson of Rollo, and that's um, William of Normandy, um, also known as William the Bastard or William the Conqueror. Yes, we all know. Known. We all know him. That seems to be when uh, British 
in quotation marks, history kind of starts everywhere, doesn't it? Like that's people never teach you before that. It's kind yeah. of ten sixty six, go. <laughs> like from there it's it's one of those things that I think you could go to any person in the street and go what happened in 1066 and I'll say Battle of Hastings William the Conqueror and they won't know they might not know anything else but they'll know that wasn't the Battle of Hastings not actually in Hastings though it was like it out. was in battle yeah um, which is about 20 miles I would say yeah roughly, to be honest from Hastings and, and I'll get onto this later on they were still not 100% sure where it actually took place um, so it's all fabrication and it's all based on a lie yeah pretty much um, but yeah that's the Normans um, so they start to really kick off in the in the early 11th century with obviously our boy William but uh, but yeah that's where we're at so who are the who are some of the like the key players you've mentioned William the the bastard I'm going to call him because I just like saying bastard. Yeah, William um, the bastard. Yeah. Oh, it sounds so much better in your accent than mine. <laughs> I'm like bastard. <laughs> just just take the R out that bastard. isn't in the word bastard. There we are. Bastards. Oh, that's better. William the bastard. No, yeah, it still so... doesn't sound right with me. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the the main character as such in this story is obviously William William of Normandy, Duke William of Normandy, um, who was born in around 1028. Uh, he was born to Robert I of Normandy, the Duke of Normandy, um, and the daughter of a tanner uh, called Herleva. I've just got this image of um, Essex girls, like people just tanning. <laughs> like, yeah. what's, that, what's, that, what's that woman's name? Gemma Collins. I just got an image of her. You're right, babe. <laughs> different kind of tanner. Mm, different kind of tanner. Yep. Um, not a very good job to have, so he was... Kind of ridiculed for it, um, coming a being a bastard was was bad. Not having your parents married was bad, uh, and then your your mother being a lowborn tanner was was even worse. But uh, he um, he became duke himself in 1035 when his father died, and pretty much from the go he was under threat from uh, relatives and other kind of counts and barons in the region who wanted his throne or wanted his dukedom as such. So from a very early age, he was used to fighting and he became pretty ruthless. Um, he has a reputation, as most Normans did, for being kind of ferocious fighters and, um, you know, decent on horseback, that kind of stuff. So he, he had a pretty rough start in life, but he, he definitely made it work, um, to put it lightly. Um, but he, he constantly fought through, um, like, rebellions and things like that. Mm. Um, he eventually married uh, Matilda of Flanders. Oh, Flanders. Um, <laughs> Flanders. <laughs> Flanders. See, that sounds better in your accent. Flanders. Sounds a bit silly up here. Flanders. But, um, and they had eight or nine children. Um, we don't know how many they really <laughs> did had. They, did, did one just go missing? They're just like, uh, we could have had eight, we could have had nine. <laughs> so one of the daughters that they had, or maybe had, uh, there's like one mention of her, bless her, and then she just disappears from the record. So I don't know if it was a... Uh, like a stillbirth or a, a infant mortality, obviously mm. very high, then something yeah. like that, or she just never existed. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's William, who is, like I said, the the kind of main character. Um, in William the, the what? William the bastard. Yes. Um, I think it depends on how whether you think uh, William was a good guy or not. Whether you call him Duke William, William the Conqueror, or William the I bastard. I mean, I don't know. 
I only know what you tell me about him, so... I'm my... going to be objective. Okay. <laughs> so my, my views very much come from yourself. Cool. Yeah, so William, um, and then on the other side, um, well, kind of on the other side, the other kind of main character that people tend to know is Edward the Confessor. Mm-hmm. Um, not Norman, um, very much an Anglo-Saxon. Um, one of the probably after Alfred the Great, the most famous Anglo-Saxon king um, in English history. Um, he lived a very, very exciting life. I say exciting, definitely the wrong word. Um, he was born around 1003 um, and famously died in 1066, but we'll get to that. Um, he was the uh, eldest son of Ethelred the Unready, another great nickname. Oh, that's an amazing name. Yeah. His name literally translates to good counsel, bad counsel, because Ethelred means well-read or well-counseled, and unready means not that he wasn't, didn't have his pants on, um, but he <laughs> was unable to be a king, which is, which is fairly accurate. He was, mm. he was, pretty, he was pretty pants. Um, but he spent a lot of his life as an exile in Normandy, of all places, because his mother, Emma of Normandy, who I recently wrote a post about on Instagram, you can check me out, at Chris Riley History, because I've changed that now. Um, you know, all of the previous episodes are just going to make no sense to anyone. Oh, now. I know. They're going to they're gonna be hunting for me. The thousands of people are going to be hunting <laughs> for me. Um, yeah, so he spent a lot of his life in Normandy, where he probably met, at some point, a young Duke William. He William then, the... Bastard. Mm. <laughs> um, he eventually returned to England to take up his crown in 1042 after a lot of messing about with a Scandinavian ruling house with Canute and Hearth Canute and Harold Harefoot. Um, his brother Alfred was blinded and murdered. It's all very messy, but he returns 1042, um, gets married, doesn't have any kids, dies in 1066, with his main man, Harold Godwinson, which is another man that people tend to be aware of. Uh, Harold Godwinson, who was his right-hand man, the Earl of Wessex, the most powerful landowner in all of England. Um, his sister um, was married to the king, so he was the brother-in-law of the king. Um, he, his father, uh, Harold Godwine, um, was again the kind of, a bit of a bit of a slimy character. He managed to always find his feet, whether it was in the court of Canute uh, or uh, Hoth Canute, sorry, or one of, when Wessex came back, he always found his feet. Like I said he became Earl of Wessex and gave it to his son uh, Harold Godwinson. Um, and yeah, him and his brother Tostig became the two most powerful men in England. Again, a very um, cool name. Yeah, uh, they, they come from Scandinavian stock, so. Um, we talk a lot, a lot about. We'll talk in this episode a lot about the French, the Normans, the English, the Vikings. When really everything's a big melting pot of mm. everybody's kind of from everywhere. The sexy Danes, um, mm, very nicely combed hair and nice beards. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, so you got Tostig and Harold uh, running around Northumbria and Wessex, being the most powerful chaps, basically doing the king stuff while Edward was off doing not a lot. He's obviously known to history as the Confessor because he was uh, made a saint after his death. Um, but like I said, he had no kids um, with um, Harold's sister, Edith, uh, um, leaving the question of 
succession very, very much open. This is where it starts to get a little bit messy with kind of the the scene setting and things like that. So we have very, very few contemporary sources. And one will say one thing, another one will say another thing. But generally, the accepted narrative is that at some point, Edward may have promised his great nephew, William the Bastard, well, Duke William of Normandy, the throne. Obviously, you're going to be rubbing your hands as William, like, hey, hey, I've got myself a kingdom. That's quality. Um, but on his death, um, as you can see on the Bayeux Tapestry, which we'll talk about later, um, it looks as if Edward is saying to Harold, look after the kingdom, I give it to you. And he's taken that and run with it, literally, crowned like three days later uh, in Westminster Abbey as King Harold II. Good on him. Yeah. Yeah, he um, he pulled his finger out and um, got himself in a right load of trouble. He wanted it, he took it. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are some more people that we'll, we'll kind of talk about later um, that kind of interact with this story. But those those three chaps are kind of the... Okay. The three main cornerstones of the the kind of the pre the prequel or the prelude to the Norman invasion. Okay, so this may sound like a really obvious question, but why why did the Normans invade? Cool. So you say it's a silly question. It's not. It's actually a really complex question, and and it's not like I say it's not one that we really know the answers to. And that's the really frustrating thing, but also the quite cool thing about the Norman invasion and, and conquest of England. So from my understanding. If I am William and I have been promised the crown by my great uncle, Edward, King of England, and then I see some upstart earl take the crown, um, he was he was accepted by the lo- the uh, the nobles, so the witan, so the council of of kind of the very 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 primitive uh, privy council, um, accepted Harold's kingship. He was crowned in um, Westminster Abbey. Um, I'd be I'd be pretty pissed, I think. And the the also another reason potentially why it was done in such a way was again another scene on the bio tapestry is it looks like, and I say it looks like because again we just genuinely don't know if these things happened or is is it actually what we're looking at? There is a scene in it where it looks like after Harold is captured during an expedition in northern France. He's essentially saved by William and he takes it back to his court and has him swear on holy relics to basically go, when I become king, you're going to be cool with that, right? And by saying yes, he was taking a sacred oath, which in the 11th century was super important. Mm. Um, So it's kind of been fed to him that he will be king. Whether that's true or not, I genuinely don't know the answers to. I would, I would err on the side that he probably was, but maybe not in the very formal sense that he may have interpreted as or used as political kind of propaganda. And also, I don't know, and nobody really knows if the, the oath on the Holy Relics, if it did take place, Harold probably didn't know about it because in, even in the scene, in the tapestry, um, they are covered as if to say he doesn't he's not going to know about this sacred oath but if he breaks it bad news for Harold poor Harold poor Harold <laughs> i mean yeah 
We'll, we'll discuss Harold. We'll discuss Harold. Yeah. So now that we know sort of the like what was going on and why the Normans invaded, um, there was other stuff that happened in 1066, wasn't there? Mm. Yeah, busy year. Um, busy year. Um, obviously, we have the death of Edward the Confessor at the start of the year. Super important event, obviously. As ironically, we record this episode today. Um, the Duke of Edinburgh sadly passed away today. He did, um, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, so we have Big Ed popping his clogs, leaving the throne to Harold, whether he knew that or not. Um, obviously, we have the the impending doom, which is the Norman invasion. But on the same, in the same kind of time, just before we have another invasion by another chap called Harold Hardrada, um, which basically translates to hard ruler or hard council or like stern stern council, mm. hard nut. Um, <laughs> but he was rough. Yeah, he was king of Norway. Um, he was. He's considered kind of the last great Viking, uh, to be honest. Because with the... Not spoilers. Um, with the death of Harald Hadrada, um, it kind of ends the Viking age, which is a really silly and ignorant and very non-historian thing to say because the Viking age isn't like a real age, but whatever. It's my, it's not my podcast, but I'm here. You um, you do you, Chris. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so Harald Hadrada, uh, king of Norway feels that this is an opportunity for him to claim another throne, which is apparently what you did in the 11th century. He claims that his father, Magnus, great name, oh, was promised... That's an awesome name. Yeah, another another cracking name. The, the Vikings did have a way with names. Um, definitely. Uh, but yeah, his, his dad, Magnus, was apparently promised to be... To, basically him... Magnus and Hartha Canute of England, when he was king of England, promised to be each other's heirs if they didn't have children. A very common thing to to do with like brothers or even rivals or like uh, part of truces. Like it happens mm. time and time again. With um, Henry V becomes heir to the king of heir to crown of uh, France, things like that. Um, yeah. So yeah, he's acting on this assumption that he had been promised the throne, and in September he launches an invasion. Um, of England, he lands near York, um, and with the help of so hold on, where have they come from? They've come from Norway. Oh, okay. I was going to say if they've come from like France. That's completely like uh, a, a, a very strange way round. Okay, yeah. so they've come from Norway. So they've come from Norway. Yeah, so come from Norway, landed near York, and with the help of Tostic Godwinson, so the brother of the king. Um, they capture York. Uh, Tostic swears his allegiance to um, Hardrada. And at this point, Harold is already anticipating the Norman invasion. So he's down in the south, down in your ends. And he has to respond very quickly to this uh, Scandinavian threat. So he marches his army all the way up to York and is able to beat Hardrada at the Battle of Stamford Bridge, which is kind of like the battle that everybody knows about, but everybody also forgets because of what happens two weeks later. Um, so the famous, famous catching them with their pants down kind of story. They mm. had no con, they had no idea that this Anglo-Saxon English army was on the march. They literally caught them with no armor on. So they ran down 
down the hill and slaughtered thousands of them. There's the story of the man on the bridge, the big Viking dude, an axe, like killing like 40 Saxon soldiers. And a man in a barrel went down the little river and stabbed him between his legs with a spear and very, very fanciful um, battle. Yeah. Not not the uh, not the nicest place to get stabbed. Not no. that any place is nice to get stabbed, but I no, can but that's that. that's that sucks. A, yeah, yeah. There's no other word. Um, but this 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 invasion kind of gets downplayed a little bit because Harold wins. Um, but Harold Hadrada was not to be trifled with. He he was obviously a king in his own right. He was king of Norway, but he'd spent years carving out this um, um, this kind of image of himself of this like great leader this great warrior he spent time in the byzantine empire he became a varangian guard which for those that don't know is like the the highest military order in the eastern roman empire or the byzantine empire depends on which side of the fence you're on for that so he he's a well-traveled well-fought well-versed man and harold was able to absolutely decimate him in an afternoon um so we're already off to a pretty busy busy start for 1066 um so yeah we've got edward's death and then a couple of months of relative peace under harold because he probably would have made a decent king if he'd you know if things hadn't have gone the way they had Mm. but um yeah even before we get to the invasion of the normans there's already been another invasion with a man trying to get to the same crown. Um, and then, like I said, just 19 days after the Battle of Stamford Bridge, we have the famous Battle of Hastings that wasn't fought at Hastings. Mm, yeah, so there was a lot going on in that year. It's funny how mm. we only pick out certain events, isn't it? That yes. And um, I think without the Battle of Hastings, the Battle of Stamford Bridge would be considered, not in the same light, but it would definitely be be known a lot more mm. um it's kind of like oh yeah 1066 the battle of hastings oh yeah and the battle of stamford bridge like it's very much an afterthought <laughs> which is quite sad poor stamford where is stamford well exactly that's what's always confused me as a kid growing up watching football seeing chelsea play at stamford bridge in london thinking wait a minute because i was the, that rare is it combo nottingham of- way I don't actually know where Stamford Bridge is. All I know is the battle was fought near York somewhere. Again, they don't know where it was exactly. Um, But it was called the Battle of Stamford Bridge. That's one one for Google. I'll have to look that up. Um, So, can we talk about the Norman Conquest without talking about the Bayo... Bayo, I can never say this. The the Tapestry. The Bayo Tapestry. That's the one. Can we... should we mention that? <laughs> I think we should mention that a little bit. Just just a little bit. It's only the most important medieval document of the 11th century. Mm, I've seen bits of it before. It's very nice. Have you? Mm. I've never seen it in person. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, it is a super important and, to be honest, just the coolest thing in the world. Um, first of all, if anybody starts, I know it's not a tapestry. It's technically an embroidery. Because the everything's sewn onto linen, whatever, no one cares. Oh, call it the are people that particular? People, yeah, it's actually an embroidery. Yeah, everybody knows. Cool. Oh, Grow up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the Bayo tapestry embroidery. Um, it's 
<laughs> not just the single coolest thing that's ever been produced in human history. It's also a really, really valuable source. And so a lot of what we get from, um, a lot of what we know, sorry, about the Norman conquest of England, which I will eventually get to, um, is from the Bayeux Tapestry itself. So we don't know when it was made. We don't know who made it. We don't know how it was made, to be honest. We don't know who it was made for. Um, and we also don't know how it ends because the ending is missing. So as far as historical sources go, you it's know not ticking many of the boxes. going to be in someone's attic somewhere, like just hiding. <laughs> well, yeah, because it, it's in Bio, uh, Bio Cathedral at the moment, or a museum in Bio, sorry, um, where they think it's been pretty much forever. So I'll share my opinions. There is a wonderful uh, podcast series, uh, the History Extra podcast. Um, um, I think you meant a... to say the History Emporium and Pals <laughs> podcast then. Of course, this is still the best history podcast. <laughs> they have a wonderful series on the Bio Tapestry at the moment, and it's uh, very good. They have historians on talking about um, where they think, um, why they think certain things about it. But oh, amazing. It was probably made in or by people from Canterbury. And it was probably made in the 1070s, so just after the invasion of England. And the person that I think, and most people think that it was made for, or under the kind of watchful eye what of, was the uh, of the future King William I, uh, William the Conqueror, William the Bastard, all of his names, uh, his half-brother, Bishop Odo of Bayeux. Hence why it has the name, the Bayeux Tapestry. Hmm. Um, he was kind of William's right-hand man. Um, politically. So what would the purpose have been for it? See, that it's a really, really good question and one that I genuinely don't think anybody knows the answer to. Because obviously, like, uh, written sort of scripture and stuff was happening with, Mm. with, uh, especially in religious um, uh, buildings, monks, etc. They were kind of writing stuff down. So it's just, it's a very fancy way of writing stuff down. Yeah, because it's, it's got very, very few words on it, uh, all in Latin. It's a very visual piece of, um, very, very visual document. Mm. Um, it's about 70 meters long. So it's not ma- massive. Um, it's not the biggest thing in the world. And it doesn't go into that much detail. Um, but what it does do is it highlights beautifully, A, what happens in the Battle of Hastings specifically, and B, it kind of has a little bit of fun with it as well, because as well as much as you see scenes with, you know, like the the famous um, scene with Edward the Confessor uh, looking like he's telling Harold to look after the, the kingdom or with um, the boats being made for the invasion fleet and things like that, you have just random animals in the borders, like dragons, and there's like 200 horses in it, and they're all brightly coloured, and it's absolutely stunning. Um, so I... But now, correct me if I'm wrong, um, I feel like I've seen something on the television about this. How, who who was it that lost their eye so, with an arrow? It didn't... That is Harold Godwinson. Okay, so didn't, on this tapestry, hasn't something been stitched in and then taken yes. back out again? So, what they think, so the famous scene that pretty much everybody that should know, listening to this, and if you don't, get it looked at. Is the famous <laughs> scene yourself out. where it looks like, and I'm saying it looks like because I really nobody knows. It looks like Harold, how Godwinson, King Harold II, is being struck in the eye with an arrow, and it says above him in Latin, um, "Harold the King 
is dead or is killed. But we now think, or modern scholars think, that the arrow has been placed there post its original uh, kind of construction. And what they think may have existed before is that character, who may or may not be Harold, was supposed to be throwing a spear. Because you see a lot of thrown spears in other parts of the battle section of the, of the tapestry. Mm. So they think he, he's just another dude throwing a spear. And the actual character that is Harold is the one that's on the right-hand side of him who is being, um, like, axed down. Because uh, basically a lot of people have said, oh, it's because it says Harold the king above the guy with the arrow. But also on that mirror, it says is killed next to the guy who's getting chopped down with an axe. Um, so just poor placement. Mm. Poor planning on the behalf Terrible. of of the the tapestry yeah. slash embroidery planning. Yeah, um, but yeah, so we think it was um, Odo of Bayeux who it was made for or made by because he's very prominent in it. He he seems to always be in the right place at the right time. He's or he's the one that is kind of credited with with um, the and I'll, I'll I'll go through the Battle of Hastings in detail if we have time mm. um, with call. The, the feigned retreat, the famous feigned retreat and that wins the day. He's seen carrying a club rather than a sword or an axe because as a bishop, as a man of the cloth, he wasn't allowed to draw blood. But what he could do is cave people's heads in. <laughs> really, really stupid. But that you can instantly recognise Odo by the fact that he's wearing, but carrying a club. surely that's going to draw blood Oh, anyway. I know. We know this, but it's early Christians being silly. Mm. Getting around their own rules. Naughty. Um, naughty boys. Um, but did you know how you can tell the difference between a Norman and an Anglo-Saxon on the biotapestry? No. So the easiest way is the Anglo-Saxons will have moustaches. And the Normans will have very, very short cropped hair, like all the little boys you see running around in JD sports and places like that. Because that's a, the, the, the short cropped haircut. Is called the it's a Norman haircut. Mm. So we spoke about this, didn't we, when we were doing the review of the Henry the, V, the, the king, the yes. king. And I, I was very much like, well, that's that's a modern haircut, like that mm. looks ridiculous. But actually, it's not a modern haircut at all. It's um, it's a very old haircut. It's very old. So mm, stylish, the, the only, stylish yeah. folks. <laughs> well, you say that. The difference is the a true Norman haircut should go shaved all the way to the crown rather than just to kind of like a nice fade. Um, so it should go pretty much all the way up to the top of the top of the head. Okay. Um, and then just have hair on the top. So it looks pretty awful. But that's how you can tell um, the difference on the tapestry. And that's oh. why we know, we're like, oh, look, that looks like William because he's got short hair. And, oh, that's probably Harold because he's got a moustache and he's carrying so a big axe. the moustache as well. Like, I'm intrigued about that. Again, that seems quite a modern thing. Mm. Well, not modern now, but like just to trim that part of your face to style. Yeah, so the Normans were, like I said, they were only recently Christian, but they were very, very pious, like warlords. Um, and what they liked to do, for, for one reason or the other, is be clean-shaven. Clean-shaven with a very, very short haircut. Whereas the Anglo-Saxons, who predominantly came from Scandinavian stock, like Harold himself, um, you know, like I said, his brother was called Tostig um, and things like that. Mm. Um, and there was Stiggins and people like that rolling around. Um, they were very much into the long hair and the, you know, they're the very much, um, they probably enjoyed a top knot, to be honest, which is quite sad, but. I don't, I don't mind a top knot. 
Do you not? No. I mean, if I could get away with it... I can actually get my hair... My hair's that long now. I can actually oh, get same. it in one. Same. I've um, got I've got curtains like the Prince from Shrek 2. I feel like we need to muzzle that now. <laughs> you will, you'll never see my hair until it's cut. And then I might share my hair again because it's absolutely atrocious at the moment. Absolutely awful. I'm sure that's not true. Oh, dude, it's awful. I look like a mix between uh, Ron Burgundy from <laughs> Anchorman and Donald Trump. It's oh, terrible. God. Oh, God. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, whether you agree or disagree with that man's politics, his hair is absolutely terrible. Mm, yeah. I always thought that. So people... I mean, I'm jumping ship completely here, but like Go for it. people who have, uh, are quite well off or they're in like sort of positions of power. So two people are springing to my mind. So actually three... So you've got um, our Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, mm. who has never really brushed his hair, ever. Nope. And that's kind of his trademark, I guess, now. But it, it kind of looks a little bit silly. I remember Very. when he first became Prime Minister, he kind of he neatened it up for about a week, didn't he? <laughs> and then it went all messy again. Donald Trump, his hair, quite wealthy people. Like, mm. please sort it out. And then you've got um, Simon Cowell as well, who had that... He spent like thousands of pounds to have that haircut, and it was just awful. Like it was just like an eighties sort of spring up with like a parting in the middle. It was very bizarre. It always reminded me of a mullet without the mullet. Oh, so it's like the top yeah. of a mullet, but without the good bit. Yeah, it was horrible. Because I, I would it? definitely rock a mullet if my girlfriend would let me, but she's she's like, no. no. I'm like okay. <laughs> That's fine. Get that rat tail out of my face <laughs> now. I've, I've kind of, I've kind of got one growing at the moment, but it's kind of in line with all my other hair, so it's, it doesn't and look like. See, a I, uh, my, all my hair was getting like long, and I cut the sides off myself because I'm actually mm. a trained barber, believe it or not. So I was going to say you're, um, you're more than qualified to cut your own mm. hair. I'm hundred percent not. Yeah, I'm... I ain't even going to attempt. I look at my like shaver that I use for my beard. This is massively off topic, and I look at it every day. And I'm like, I could. I could do it, but I won't. I can't. Yeah, you can. Can't no, don't, do it. Don't, don't encourage me. I've got a hair appointment booked. Do it. Do it. Never. <laughs> I, want, I don't want to look like a Norman. Don't make me come up to Sheffield. <laughs> like... Hey, if you want to cut my hair and it's all... It's, you know, a, long, it's a long drive. As soon as all is. this nonsense <laughs> is over, I'll be up there. Yes, um, Definitely. Sorry, we digress. So, haircuts and moustaches, mm. telling the difference on the tapestry between the two, um, which is quite interesting because, do you know, it's quite, um, that, that tapestry is kind of like, uh, it's so world famous mm. and it the, the style of those pictures are like, you, you, see, a, you see, see a picture in that style and you automatically think of that time period. Yeah, Straight yeah, it's, away. it's it's kind of been immortalized in key rings and mouse mats and you know bookmarks and things like that. It's just an absolute staple of mm. of history. And this is a really and, nice segue to talk about your new logo. Oh yeah, I've been dying to bring this up. One of my good good friends, uh, Cassie. Hi, Cassie, if you're listening. She's a wonderful artist. She does all sorts of illustrations and things. Uh, you can follow her on Instagram at uh, Cass Hughes, which she's got one S in it. 
Um, but she has basically drawn me into the Bayo Tapestry. And for those that haven't followed me on Instagram yet, if you're going to do it for one reason, that should be it. Because she has done an absolutely amazing job. Um, she's made me, well, she's turned Edward the Confessor essentially into me. Um, it's it's stunning. I could not I could not ask for it to have been done any better. It's great. And it's so you as well. Like when I saw it, I was just like, oh, that's amazing. Um, it is so like niche to, to who you are and the period mm. of time that you love as well. Like it's really yeah. great. So, um, and it, um, it zhuzhes up your Instagram quite nicely. Yeah. So yeah, it looks great. So everyone should go yeah. check that out. Actually, if you, um, send me a picture of it, have you done this already? Have I posted it? Anyway, do it again. I'll post it and everyone can see it because it's very cool. Cool. I will and then do. I'll, I will I'll tag your friend in it as well. <laughs> Yes. Um, but yeah, I love the Bear Tapestry and you should all love the Bear Tapestry because it is one of about six contemporary sources we have for this whole period. Um, that's what makes this, like I said, it, this quite, quite messy, quite confusing at times because we have so few written sources. Um, just a few of the others um, we have, and these are all in Latin, so apologies for my terrible accent and probably messing these up. But we have the Gesta Regnum Anglorum, which is the essentially the story of the kings of England um, by William of Malmesbury. I totally thought you said rectum then. No, Reg- <laughs> regum. I do apologise. Um, My mind is in the gutter, oh, no. ladies and gentlemen. I do apologise. Um, we have another one by another William, William of Jumiège. Ah, and that is the great, great name. Uh, the Gesta Normaranum Ducum, which is the... History of the Dukes of Normandy. Mm-hmm. And then the one with the worst title, the longest title, um, by another William, uh, which is um, William of Poitiers. And that is the Gesta William Williamani Ducus Normaranum, which is the history of Duke William of Normandy. And those with the Bayer Tapestry pretty much form everything we know about this period. That's incredible. Such few documentations. Mm. To say it's so well known on a kind of pop culture and a conversational level, like I said about, I could literally open my window and go, what happened in 1066? And everyone would go, Butler Hastings. You Really quietly. I don't know if you're on TikTok. I recently got suckered into it. That would make an amazing, that would make an amazing TikTok video. Just shouting out the window. What happened in 1066? And then people shouting back to you. Oh, you could do it in the supermarkets as well. Chris, you need to start this immediately. <laughs> Don't, because I've always said I'll never go on TikTok ever. Because oh, I hate everything it is. I but said it's... that. And now I spend... I don't post anything on it. Well, I did once and then I took it off. Um <laughs> But I just scroll and scroll and scroll. And do you know what? Actually, some of it is really funny. Like, really funny. Mm. Oh, some of it's cracking. Yeah. But I can't give in to it. I can't give in to it. Oh, please start the 1066 craze. (laughs) Thing is, though, like, I remember, again, off topic. um, We, part of the reason I actually started doing history stuff on a more permanent level is I was doing a quiz a lockdown quiz, shock, like everybody else. And my friends were saying, oh, Chris, you should do a history quiz. Uh, and I was like, I can do, but if you don't know, you don't know, and you, you might find it quite difficult. Mm. And they were like, yeah, but it won't be that hard, will it? And I was like, okay. So I threw some kind of like test questions at them. I was like, 
you know, what year was the Battle of Cressy? And everyone was like, the what? And I was like, wow, people really don't know this stuff. And that's yeah. my ignorance. That's me thinking, you know, because I know it, everyone should know it. But um, <laughs> but 1066, I think, is the only one that people genuinely know. I think it's probably because of the bloody insurance company or whatever it was, Hastings Direct or whatever. Oh, um, yeah, there was that. Uh, what were the, the f- I oh, even remember 1066, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that definitely put it into people's minds um, from a young age in the UK, especially. Mm. Um, but it's a shame because there's so many other cool things. But yeah, the tenth um, Battle of Hastings and, and this that we're talking about today is definitely the, like we mentioned at the start, it seems to be the start for a lot of people. Um, people are aware of the Romans. People may have heard of Alfred the Great, but all the bits in between, we all kind of forget or ignore. There's, obviously, there are Anglo-Saxon historians and people like the Vikings and things like that, of course. But as a rule, it seems to be a start point. And I think it's a very, very important break between one type of world and another, kind of mm. the pre- and post-feudal world, which the Normans introduced into England after the conquest. Yeah. It's so interesting. It's so complex as well. Mm. Um I mean, I'm glad that I have you to teach me this stuff. <laughs> as we know, right, where your knowledge ends, mine starts. Yes. Yeah. So, um, okay, so I've got a question for you. Mm. So, who do you think should have been king in 1066? I mean, it's a great question, and it's a pretty hard one to answer because there's another person that we haven't actually mentioned yet that was also in the running, um, called Edgar Aithling. And I've mentioned this word before in a previous episode about the, uh, when I was very, very drunk talking about the anarchy. Uh, the word Aithling essentially means um, royal heir or prince things, you know, prince, something like that. So Edgar the Aithling was the kind of the fourth guy who could have been king. Mm. Um, and he was actually proclaimed king by the Witan. Edward, uh, Edgar, sorry, was the son of Edward the Exile, who was the son of Edmund Ironside, who was also the son of Ethelred the Unready. So he was the half-brother of Edward the Confessor, therefore making Edgar the half-nephew, if that's even a thing, of Edward the Confessor. But he was the last male, potential male heir in Mm. the House of Wessex. He spent his whole life in Hungary, because when his dad, Edward, escaped, Edward the Exile... He spent his whole life hungry. <laughs> probably. Um, just on a mad one in Budapest. Um, We've all done it. We have. We have. Um, very, very cold when I went. Oh, my God, it was so cold when I went to I've Budapest. actually not been to Budapest. It's one of the places... Don't the go in winter. Only places I've never been. Don't go in winter. It's so cold. It's so cold. Anyway, he is essentially kind of... They kind of go, well, Edgar could do. He's, he's in, you know, he's part of the family. Um, and after the Battle of Hastings, Harold's killed at the Battle of Hastings. Um, and in the interim between the battle in October and William's crowning on Christmas Day, 1066, Edgar is proclaimed king. Never crowned, never really gets a look in. Um, but if we're going exclusively on family lineage... Edgar is probably my vote, but I do like Harold Godwinson. I do like, and I wish, I wish he hadn't have died because all that had to happen is he did not, didn't have to lead the army at Hastings. The Battle of Hastings still could have been a loss, 
But because Harold died, that completely changed the landscape because that left no political rival for William. Um, but I think a lot of people, myself included, up until very recently, got gets very messed up, it get very kind of tangled up in the, yeah, but it should be son after father and all that kind of stuff. At this point, it was still very much an elective king. Mm. Yes, there was, you know, sons tended to take over from their fathers, but it wasn't always guaranteed. Like to go back to Alfred the Great, who ruled in the end of the ninth century, he was not. He was the fifth or fourth or fifth son. Um, and at least two of his brothers were king before him, but the, his elder brother who died to make him king, he had a son who was not chosen to be king. They chose Alfred instead. So it wasn't unprecedented for them to go outside of the, you know, the direct line of succession. So I call William the bastard because I don't see his claim as holding up. But king by conquest, it worked for Henry VII. Um, so I guess I have to acknowledge... William as my forebear king, and uh, and yeah, so but I'll, I'll go Harold. Isn't it mad that after all of these years, like that we we still obviously remember these people, and like, do you think they would have thought that their legacy would have lasted X amount of years? That's crazy. I think they would have. I think they would have wanted to, and I think that's why things like the Bayo Tapestry exist. You asked earlier why it was made, and I didn't actually give you an answer. I think the reason it was made was for um, for history, for us, in a in a roundabout way. And that may be with rose-tinted glasses, I'm saying that, but why else do we? would you put money and time and effort into producing a 70-metre-long piece of cloth that explains one of the most important events in Western history that is known... Obviously, they didn't know it was going to be known for a thousand years, but... You know, that must have been a goal for whoever made it, whether it was for William. Even though William is not necessarily a main character on the tapestry, Odo is absolutely more important. And even Harold, as the loser, is more is probably more important than William. That's why we think it was probably made by English uh, embroiderers. Mm. Because there is a lot, but then again, there is a lot of pro-Norman in it. It's very, very, and it's absolutely amazing. The more you look into it, the more questions you have. Um, I suppose you could that, study it, like literally yeah. section by section. There are, yeah, there are people that focus pretty much exclusively on the tapestry. Uh, I've just read a book uh, by Mark Morris, just called Norman Conquest. Uh, it's absolutely brilliant. It's a fantastic book for people that have a rough idea of what's going on, but would just like a, lo- a little bit more detail. Mm. Um, it's a wicked book, and I fully recommend it. Um, but yeah, the tapestry for me is absolutely for me and you and the people listening um it was made for for history 100 percent. i quite like the mystery that it's sort of mm. it's like art isn't it like it's all like interp like you can interpret it different ways depending yeah. on who is looking at it and yeah i kind of like that maybe i mean maybe it was the meant to be like that maybe it was the meant to keep the conversation going and it has yeah because obviously at this point things being written down. Yes, it was happening. And I'm a firm believer that the Dark Ages never happened and it was just a different kind of civilization. But everything was written in Latin. Things were started to be written in, Fran- in French, sorry, but the it was the vernacular language that was French or Anglo-Saxon England, English or Old English. But Latin was the written language. But nothing, barely anything is written in the Bayeux Tapestry except certain things like where it says... Um, 
you know, Archbishop Stigand at the coronation of Harold or, you know, like where it says um, Harold the King is killed, that kind of thing. Other than that, there's very, very little written that goes in it, but you can read an entire story in it. But that makes it even more clever. Mm. Absolutely. It's um, another interesting thing that you'll all absolutely love is originally there was 93 penises in the Bayer Tapestry. Uh, well, where did they go? <laughs> Horses. Oh. What? So you can still find... So a lot of them have been removed. Don't know who removed them or why. But a lot, a lot of the horses have fairly, at least on a size-wise, anatomically correct penises. Mm. They're quite large, some of them. I mean, they took that... Well, there's, there's that, that famous phrase. That is hung, that phrase. Hung like a horse. Yes. Like a horse. Yep. Um... Maybe that's where it comes from. Maybe it's from the tapestry. Maybe. Or maybe it's because they just are. <laughs> maybe, yeah. But, um... So yeah, they've, it... they've been removed now from the horses. Yes. yes. How um, bizarre. How bizarre. It, le- it leaves a lot open to, well, what has, like we mentioned earlier about the arrow in Harold's eye. Um, it's, it leaves a lot open to interpretation on what has been changed or removed. I'm sure it's been studied a million times. Like, where does it live permanently? It's in France, isn't it? In Bayeux, yeah. Um, it is apparently coming to the UK this year. Well, it was meant to be coming like pre-COVID yeah. because I remember it mm. being um, advertised in the tubes when I was sort mm. of floating around London. And um, and then obviously all of a sudden that all stopped. So yeah, I mean, if it comes, it would be amazing. It would be. And I would absolutely recommend people go and see it. I'll certainly be going to see it. Mm. Um, it's a thousand year old document that somehow still survives. So mad, isn't it? Can you imagine the um, the insurance document on um, oh on that when Ooh. they're transporting it? I wouldn't want. Oh, mad! Imagine. No, I'm not even going to say it. Imagine. Oh, awful. Um, I had but... this really funny thing the other day, and it was like um, it was on TikTok. I'm 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 afraid to say, <laughs> but it was like tell me tell me something that's British that's not actually British or something like that. And it was like everything in the British Museum. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it just made me laugh. The, the classic British museum argument, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but, um, but, yeah, I think I think we should definitely talk about the Battle of Hastings. We yes. can't really talk about the Norman Conquest without talking about the actual bloody conquest. To... My fault. No, no, go ahead. Um, but yeah, as I've mentioned a few times, the kind of the main... Focal point for people when they're looking at the conquest of England is the actual Battle of Hastings itself, which was between William um, and Harold Godwinson, or King Harold. Um, Like I mentioned before, the Battle of Stamford Bridge happens, and at the same time, pretty much, William, who had been stopped from poor weather, shock, um, from launching his invasion, he eventually lands in Pevensey on the south coast, um, he falls on the ground quite famously, um, which is a bad omen. Everyone's like, oh, shit, he's fallen. This isn't very good. But he, what he does is he, he grabs England with both hands, or as he says, he picks up the dirt and he says, I've, I've grasped England with both hands. This is mine. He turns it into quite a cool political stunt, really. Um, but he, he sets about building Pevensey Castle um, and things like that. He kind of starts to 
move out a little bit because he, he can't just land and be, you know, well, I've done it now. Sound wicked. Um, he's got to get rid of Harold and he's got to take London. Um, so Harold finds out, marches down pretty much instantly. It only takes him a few days to march down all the way from York. Um, and they meet somewhere near the village of Battle. Um, potential sites are uh, a place called Senlac Hill, um, or where you can now you can go and visit um, Battle Abbey, which is where they think, or they're saying anyway, is where Harold was killed on that site. Mm. So it's around there. It's around around uh, Hastings in the south, obviously, Battle Hastings. Um, but the tapestry does a wonderful job because there was no eyewitnesses to the battle. We have no, we have absolutely technically no idea what happened because no one saw it. Well, obviously people saw it, but they didn't tell anyone um, other than probably their mates down the pub the next day. Um, <laughs> God, I made that sound so casual, didn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, guys, it was just this massive yeah. battle that people are going to be talking about for years to come. Oh, what did you do at the weekend? Yeah. Oh, I was at, hate- I was at um I was at Battle of Hastings. Oh, was that like, like, yeah, it was all right. It's like when everyone goes to a festival, like in the local yeah. area. Yeah, I was just at Glastonbury, innit? Yeah. <laughs> like, we, we, we were at Hastings 66. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did see you there. Yeah, in the shield wall. Summer, yeah. summer of love. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you see William? Yeah, man. He killed it, didn't he? Literally. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we don't really know where it was, but. Essentially what happened is we think Harold arrived first and set up on some kind of embankment or hill uh, in the famous shield wall um, kind of technique, which was have all of your soldiers with their massive shields interlock to create an impenetrable wall. Um, He wedged himself between two kind of wooded areas um, and he had his archers behind um but he his the bulk of his force was made up of the kind of renowned uh soldiers called the huskarls um who were his kind of royal guard uh heavily armored with big two-handed axes big terrifying kind of like scandinavian dudes they sound um, quite sexy to me i'm quite into it yeah i mean it gets the gets the juices going doesn't it <laughs> yes yes it does <laughs> Um, but on the other side, we have the equally sexy Normans on horseback who were clad in their mail shirts or chain mail, if you want to use the incorrect term, for the um, long mail uh, uh, kind of suits um, with their really famous kite shields, which you see all over the tapestry um, with spears and swords and the super famous Norman helmet, um, the helmet with the... Um, I don't know why I'm physically showing you because you can't see me because I'm in a completely different part of the world. Um, with the <laughs> uh, the nasal piece of metal covering the nose, the famous kind of the image of medieval helmets. Um, they were a very cavalry-based army and they set up at the bottom of the hill. Obviously, it's going to be pretty difficult to break through the shield wall and throughout the day, they're constantly trying to break through this, this shield wall that's holding and holding and holding and holding. The archers are peppering down the... The, the Norman archers, which have been sent up first. Cavalry cannot break through. And eventually, the tables start to turn in Harold's favour. And the Normans start to retreat, retreat back down the hill. Um, and leaving um, Harold thinking, 
well, shit, we've done it. We've got this in the bag. It's, I'm two for two this week, doing well. Um, without him saying anything, his less experienced, probably less um, disciplined troops fall down the hill after the retreating Normans, you know, trying to get a few more kills on the kill sheet um, before going home. And at this moment, the Normans also hear, potentially, this is all potentially, we don't actually know for definite, um, hear the news that William is, has been killed. So the Duke is dead. What's the point? Let's get home. Back to Normandy. We're done. Uh, William is not dead, obviously. Um, and he is reported to have taken his helmet off, saying, I'm here. I'm your Duke, your commander. Follow me. You know, my captain, your captain, all that kind of stuff. Um, starts waving them forward, leads the charge himself into the um, attacking English and, and cuts them down. And there's rumours that uh, Bishop Odo um, led the kill squad to kill Harold. Um, whether that happened or not, it's probably unlikely. Um, but Harold is killed ultimately in the battle, whether it was... Well, there's a couple of stories anyway. So there's the, what, the famous one where he takes the arrow in the eye. Um, there's another one where he's cut down by a Norman knight. And the, the, the best one, and the, definitely the one that didn't happen, is he escaped uh, and lived out his life as a hermit. So do we not know that he definitely got an arrow in the eye? No, we, we don't know. Um, I I've been saying that didn't. as gospel forever. I'm like, yep, definitely got an arrow in his eye. It's, I mean, it's plausible. I mean, it's as plausible as any other method of death, really, for him. I bet that hurt, didn't it, if it did happen? That's not ideal. Ironically, if you Google Stamford Bridge... Ironically. Ironically, oi, oi. Mm-hmm. The picture that comes up is Harold Hardrada with an arrow in his eye. Um, whether that happened or not, we don't know. But ultimately, William wins, Harold loses, Harold dies, and then William marches on to London, which after holding out for a little bit, kind of they proclaim Edgar Aethling, King of England. And eventually they go, you know what, screw this, can't be asked. <laughs> L- let him in. So William gets let in, um, and by on Christmas Day, 1066... He is coronated, he's crowned, sorry, King William of England and Duke of Normandy. Um, and his coronation is super exciting because he has basically killed off most of the English lords at the Battle of Hastings. That's why it's such a complete victory. And that's what made his invasion, uh, in, you know, that's what made it succeed, is he was able, not personally, but his army was able to kill pretty much all of the leading English nobles. Um, so he so got coronation... everyone out of his way, basically. Yeah, literally couldn't have gone any better. If Harold would have survived, anything could have happened. If William had have died, Harold would have probably just retained his crown and we would have been a completely different world. Never mind a different England or anything like that. We would have been a different planet. Um, so mad it's one of those what ifs of history isn't absolutely it? yeah absolutely Every, it's the butterfly effect isn't it but i think the the conquest of england is one of those it introduced so many things that we now that are just quintessentially english the, t- or the tower of london my famous tower of london yeah my 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 favorite building in yeah, the world built, built by the conqueror mm. um but his his coronation um westminster abbey christmas day um was all going well um until the knights that he had stationed outside, um, just in case, um, heard them cheering inside the abbey 
took that as something going horribly wrong and just decided, well, there's obviously a riot going to happen, so let's burn down London. (laughs) And just started setting fire to everything. As this is happening, they can see the flames outside. Everybody starts to run out of the abbey. But William's like, no, no, carry on. So he is just, there's like him is like the archbishop, probably Odo, who was made uh, Earl of Kent. Um, just like awkwardly like, all right, um, you're the king. Nice one. Yeah. Can we deal with the fire now, Will? And he's like, all right. Yeah, yeah. In a French accent. Um, can you do that French accent for me, please? I, you know I can't do a French. You know I'm not going to try Do that. it in your um, Stalin accent then. Oh, but... Yeah, I mean, it's a bit more heavy than that than anything else, isn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> no more accents today. No more accents today. Maybe, maybe another one later. Um, but yeah, so his, his coronation kind of got off to a fiery start. And a lot of people saw that as an omen for his reign, which definitely was true. Um another episode in itself we could talk about the doomsday book which is one of the most important documents in history so i would actually love to do that chris because the doomsday book is something that fascinates me and it's um it's almost like a a a badge of allegiance if your town was named in the doomsday Mm. book um but if it wasn't if you're if you're from one of these new towns you don't belong yeah milton Keynes. Yeah, yeah. Although I believe Milton Keynes was a uh, tiny little hamlet before it was. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. He, do you know what? That's something. That's we'll do yeah. that. We'll do that. Yeah, we should definitely do the 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 reign of William the first because that's a really cool one, and we could talk about his funeral again. Is that the one where he explodes? Yeah. We need to get someone. Oh, can someone do an animation for us, please? That would be amazing. Surely there's somebody out there that can do that. Anyone, if anyone is still listening by this point, um, please, please, please do us an animation of an exploding William in the coffin. That'd be lovely, that, yeah. I'd really like that. Um, But yeah, that in a nutshell is the Battle of Hastings and the taking of London and the coronation that ended... Anglo-Saxon rule um, that had lasted for 400 years, 500 years. Do you know what I would like to see? Um, and that you can probably get these, I'm, I'm sure. But I find a lot of um, geography and stuff quite difficult to get your head around uh, from modern times uh, to periods of time that we're talking about. So to see history through maps, I find really interesting. Yes. So when you have spoken before about um England especially kind of being a part of France and it all being kind of intertwined and interlinked it's really hard to see that now because they're kind of very much separate um mm. on the maps that we see but it would be really interesting to see maps of these kingdoms and these uh these areas as they were then mm, definitely because you've got well, I've mentioned before, like, uh, Canute, uh, King Canute the Great, who oversaw what they called at the time, or post, um, the North Sea Empire, which was Denmark, Norway, and England. Um, then you've got, later, you've got the Angevin Empire, which was under Henry II, which was Aquitaine, Normandy, Maine, Anjou, England, Ireland, places like that. Uh, obviously, I've mentioned that France didn't exist. Um, West Francia, um, and then you had East Francia and Lotharingia and 
all these places that don't exist anymore, even more recently with like Burgundy and, and Flanders, which is now, you know, Belgium, um, nation states that only have existed for X amount of years. It's uh, yeah. Maps are super helpful though. When you, when you're like, wait a minute, what, 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 what does that mean? And you, you, you see it on a map and you're like, oh yeah, that does make sense. That does make sense why Calais is so important to, you know, trade and why it was so important in the Hundred Years' War and things like that. But mm, yes. I digress. Yeah, well, there's only 30 miles, isn't there, between Dover and mm. Calais? Yeah. Um, and it's getting ever closer. We were always taught this in school. Apparently, the the tectonic plates or something are moving at such a slow rate, but they are eventually, like, going to, like, come together at some point. That'd be... I think that'd be Edward III's dream to see England connected to France again, so he wouldn't have to sail to do mm. his little, to do his warrings. So Dogger, Doggerland will be back. Mm. It's such a shit name for an area, isn't it? They could have literally called it anything else. Doesn't it mean, though, something like low-lying land? Isn't mm. that what it means? Something like that, yeah. But, um, I mean, if you look at a world map, you can see where everything kind of joined. You can see where we fell off. <laughs> yeah, you can. Yeah, totally. Totally, and where Ireland uh, goes into um, sort of that cove between sort of Scotland all the way down to like Wales, that dug out little bit, mm. and then even the um, the the massive lake that's in um, uh, Northern Ireland, like it's almost like the Isle of Man should be in that lake, like covering yeah. that up. It's um I mean I'm sure that it that it's more complicated than that, but it looks like that's what should have happened. Mm. Very interesting. Very much so. Yes. Thank you, Chris. That's... Thank you. It's been it's been a while, so it's nice to get back on and uh, and have a chat with you again. It has been a while. So um I'm trying to be a professional more organised podcast host. So instead of recording a million episodes and releasing them all on one day i'm now going to be <laughs> releasing them every wednesday um and i specifically chose a wednesday because i wanted to post hump day constantly so <laughs> that's that was my reasoning behind it um so every wednesday come uh, next month which is what is next month may may um, I will be releasing an episode every Wednesday. So, yeah, we're try- trying to get a bit more professional. And as uh, we are recording this on Friday the 9th of April, tomorrow is our one-year birthday, which is exciting. Hey. I know, I know, it's exciting. Um, so by the time this goes out, it would have long gone. But, um, yeah, I can't believe we have come this far it's been it's been good so yes and and uh, back to my original point at the beginning you've been an integral part of that christopher so be proud be proud honor. yourself here's to the next year and and many more successful years mm. it's been an absolute it's been awesome doing these over the last sort of few months um yeah i don't think i'd have carried on if it wasn't for this podcast so thank you ah sharing the love sharing the love always Right, Christopher, it's that time of uh, day where we plug, 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 plug things. So if you would like to plug, please go ahead. 
yeah, I'll do my usual plug-in like I normally do. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, uh, not at Chris Riley underscore anymore, but at Chris Riley History. I thought I'd make it a little bit more professional. Um, you can also follow the thehistorycorner.org uh, at the History Corner blog on Instagram. I made that confusing, didn't I? Um, where we post all the articles and things that people write for the website. If you would like to get involved with the website, um, send us a message or email at uh, thehistorycorner.info at gmail.com. Uh, you can find all this through through my Instagram anyway, so there's no rush if you've not written all this down like you should be doing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's me. Uh, the, the magazine that you're involved in as well, you've not mentioned them. Oh yeah, shit. Sorry, I should have done that. Yeah, and ironically, what I wrote in that the first edition of this magazine was the coronation of William the Conqueror. Well, so go. I really Nicely should have been linked. on this. But yeah, the Historians Magazine uh, edition two, which I have been a part of. Um, it's been a wonderful um, journey through that. That should be coming out uh, in the next week or so. Um, we're just going through the final draft process. Um, Currently, the link is down because we had a problem with Etsy, um, but it's going to the printers because this one is going to actually be a physical magazine, which mm. is very, very cool. It's all about the forgotten women of history. Uh, Feature-wise, we have um, 14th century queen consorts of Scotland and Anne Boleyn are our two main points, but there is all sorts of stuff in that, and I would absolutely recommend people checking out edition one. Uh, if you haven't already, you can find all of that information at the history historians magazine on instagram yeah and it looks amazing i've seen a couple of things that have been going on behind the scenes and it looks incredible and i will certainly be purchasing the hard copy um yes. when i can so actually by the time this goes out it will probably already be out so that's exciting hopefully yeah hopefully it will. yeah absolutely and as uh, fellow historians, it's good to support our other fellow historians. Um, so please yeah. do go and purchase that um, if you if you can. That'd be great. Um, awesome. Right, we're going to end it there, Chris. But thank you so much again, and we will chat soon. Yep. Anytime, mate. Thank you again. Bye bye.